This is one of three podcasts from us. Follow all three to never miss out. I'm market-to-market executive producer David Miller. Here's one of the offerings now. This is the Friday, June 17, 2022 version of the market analysis segment from Market to Market. Weather took over most market headlines this week as hot and dry baked much of the grain belt. For the week, the nearby wheat contract dropped 37 cents, while July corn improved 11 cents. The bulls that dominated the soy complex were hard to find after last week's rally. The nearby soybean contract fell 44 cents. July meal jumped $9 per ton. July cotton shrank $1.61 per hundredweight. Over in the dairy parlor, July class 3 milk futures lost $1.01. The livestock sector was mixed. August cattle put on 38 cents. August feeders decreased 153. And the July lean hog contract improved 552. In the currency markets, U.S. dollar index dropped by 47 ticks. July crude oil weakened by 10.81 per barrel. Comex gold lost 40.20 per ounce. And the Goldman Sachs commodity index fell just over 41 points to finish at 754.30. Joining us now to provide some insight, Mr. Ted Seifrin. Hello, sir. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Hot and dry. That's how it's going. Yeah, it's, it's, a, little, it's a little warm out there. It's warm for June. Yeah. But it's warm and hot in, in wheat country, but they're used to it at this time of year. Right. Winter crops coming out below expectations or below average in some parts of Kansas. Yeah. Is that a bellwether for the rest of the wheat belt when it comes to winter? Uh, yeah, I mean, it should be. Anytime you have you know, lower production like that, it should be supportive for prices in the market. But look, we're already at some very, very good prices. Uh, we were quite heavy on Friday, so the question is, you know, harvest pressure, when are we going to be done with that? I would, I would think that in a year like this where, as you said, you know, uh, yields are coming out well less than, when you say expectations, I mean... Yeah, I shouldn't have said expectations. Average. Right. What we were thinking when we planted, yeah. how's that? Okay. You know, uh, this crop's a lot smaller than what we were thinking, what we were intending to have, Right. So when that happens, you've got a fair amount of wheat that's already been sold, uh, so it doesn't have to go. When it comes to town, it doesn't have to, the cash doesn't have to go to market. Um, and whatever you are doing, whatever is getting sold, uh, it's probably going to dry up sooner than it usually does. So I'm thinking by the time we're 40 to 50, maybe 45% harvested, that harvest pressure should probably be done. In a normal year, you say 60 to 70% harvested. That's when the harvest pressure lifts and we start to get that post-harvest rally. Uh, this year, I think that happens earlier, so it might be within the next week or so. Um, but again, that kind of depends on what's going on with the row crops, I think, and it also kind of depends on what's going on with the whole macroeconomic uh, climate that we have as well. We're going to get to the macro everything here in a minute, but wheat has been this, uh, I won't say accordion, but it's kind of been the same 30 to 40, up yeah. one week, back down the same amount. That's... We know volatility is here more, but why is that such a story? You know, we found a, a level um, that really, I think we've, we're sort of value-priced in wheat. And without seeing a huge increase in exports, it's tough to say that, you know, the initial spike that we got from the Ukraine or the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it's hard to say that was really justified. In fact, at the time, it was a short squeeze. It wasn't really fundamentally justified, in my opinion. Now, since then, we've had some bullish things happen for the wheat. Obviously, drought, obviously low yields, you know, production issues, not only here, but in other places as well. 
that have kind of come in to justify some of these higher prices. But whether we go higher or not, I think really hinges on, hey, are we going to see this influx of business coming in uh, to see, for our wheat export program? And we haven't seen that so yeah. far. Uh, I think you have to have really big doubts about that. So, yeah, uh, again, I think wheat can recover after we get past the harvest pressure. I think there can be some more upside, but it has to come from strength in the row crops. I think at this point, wheat would be the follower. Is corn the leader then this week? I think corn and soybeans really kind of trade off being a leader. You go back a couple of weeks and soybeans really were the leader and the cash market in beans was really very tight. But then this week you saw that the basis at the Gulf and everything really start to kind of fall apart or cool off pretty significantly for beans. Crush margins have cooled off very significantly for beans. But then when we look at the weather forecast, corn kind of takes that leadership role because that's the one that we look into uh, – um, uh, Climate Prediction Center outlook for July of above normal temperatures, temperatures and below normal precip for much of the growing area, and we know July is the key month for corn, then yes, corn is going to take the lead. And if you believe the photos that you see on Twitter or online, mm-hmm. wilting crops in Illinois, good corn country, Indiana, nothing growing in Ohio if we believe what Glenn's showing us. Mm. Uh, we know the story in North and South Dakota, Minnesota. Yeah. There's a part of Iowa that didn't get the rain this week. Right. They're going to see 100-degree temperatures real fast. This right. is June. Mm-hmm. Is that a problem? Yeah. So one, you kind of touched on a couple of different things there. The planting issues that you had in North, North and South Dakota and Minnesota, that is something that is a problem. I don't think we're going to get the intended corn acres, which was down from what we really needed anyways. So I'm worried that maybe we don't have that 98 or 89 and a half million acres of corn. But as far as the heat that we're having in June, you know, we were behind on this crop. We needed the heat to come in to try to catch up. And yeah, you're pineappling a little bit in the evenings. uh, And there are some areas that are going to have problems. Uh, You know, we have this every year. June's not the month that we really focus on as far as weather. That's all going to happen in July. I really don't see this hot and dry that we're having right now as being a major problem for the corn crop unless it continues into July, unless those Climate Prediction Center uh, outlooks are correct with above normal temps and, and below normal precip. If you're following a month like this up with a month like that, then we really do have a problem. So it all depends on the forecast, right? And after we come back from a three-day holiday week, We'll see what that forecast has to say, and that will really dictate what we're going to do. It's almost just like a, a, a second Fourth of July holiday weekend that we're having. Two weeks, it's a dress rehearsal for the Fourth of July holiday weekend. Uh, I want to ask you a question uh, about something I've asked you before, but mm-hmm. it's a, a follow-up that came in from Mitch in Hull, Iowa. Uh, and we thank you for all of your Twitter and Facebook questions that come in. Mitch is asking you, Ted, how do you feel about marketing 2023 new crop corn mm-hmm. and or soybeans, given uncertainty on input costs that far out. Yeah. Um, input costs are starting to come down, as sort of predicted. And, you know, if you're a believer that we're going to see uh, an inflationary bubble burst happen between now and next growing season, that would suggest that we're going to be paying quite a bit lower for input costs. It would also suggest that corn prices could be quite a bit lower by that time, too. Uh, so I'm really urging a lot of my guys to be between 15 and 25% sold for 23 already at this point. And we're looking for ways to kind of get a little bit uh, higher numbers there by the time we get past the 4th of July. Um, I want to be careful because I do realize that there is fairly significant upside potential in the short term based on weather forecasts, based on a blow-off top in the inflationary climate of the market. 
but I really worry about where we're going to be, even going into, into this harvest, and then for the next following couple of years. This time last year, Paul, being here, I was not really very bearish I, uh, for, no, for harvest of the following year. I really thought this was going to stick around for quite a while, and it has. But now you see the cracks coming in the foundation in the form of what's happening with the stock market, what's happening with cryptocurrency. A lot of the wealth and money flow in the economy that's created this inflation has kind of disappeared, gone away because of the wealth destruction that's happened in other markets. And we have to take notice of that. We, we have to realize that over time, that, along with higher interest rates, will really go a very long way to not only busting this inflationary bubble, but really taking us to a period of deflation, possibly. We have a couple of questions about inflation that we'll get into in plus, but I'll just ask you right now. What is the impact of a, I think you said, blow-off top, or mm-hmm. you know, we're back below 30000 on the Dow? What's that mean for commodities? You know, commodities are, are directly in, impacted by inflation because that's the thing. You know, when there's more money in the money supply, then the money is worth less and commodities have to be worth more. That's really the definition of inflation. Um, but the thing is, when you're taking money out of that money supply, that leaves that inflationary bubble at risk for bursting. When it does, what happens is the products that you use these commodities to make, i.e. beef, i.e. ethanol, you know, things like that, in an inflationary climate, it's okay to have high-priced inputs because the products are high-priced and people are willing to absorb that. But when you have that inflationary bubble burst and people are not willing to absorb those higher prices and pay those higher prices for the products, that demand starts to, that, that's what we call demand destruction. Demand starts to go away. Then the inputs have a problem because they can't be high-priced if the products that they're making, if that demand's going away. So the demand for the inputs goes away, i.e. corn, right? So... Um, yeah, inflation goes away. That's a big problem for grains. I'm going to argue there's probably about a dollar to two dollars of of value in corn, of the price in corn, that is 100% tied into inflation. And if you take the inflation away, and you're still even if you're still looking at the same balance sheet or possibly even slightly more bullish, I still think there's a rare, very sizable downdraft that can happen in corn prices uh, just because of inflation. Go back to 2007, 8, and 9, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I need to, I, you've touched on a lot of beans. Real quick, uh, are you doing anything right now with beans? Are you buying? Are you selling? Changing positions? I have a hard time being bearish old crop beans. And like I said, I think there is this one more big inflationary push, and I think one more potential big weather push as long as the forecast doesn't change over the three-day three holiday weekend. So I'm being a little bit patient. New crop beans, same thing as corn. Uh, I'm asking guys to be 60 65% sold for, for new crop. I think you can have some old crop bushels laying around just to see what happens, you know, towards the tail end of the marketing year where we're supposed to be running out of beans. Um, but you've got to be fairly aggressive at these prices pretty much across the board. You've got great prices to take advantage. If you want to reown with call options, I'm all for something like that. Uh, but don't just sit on the risk of a $2 drop that could happen at any, at any given time. Look at crude oil on Friday. Oh, well, energies in general, we could talk about yep. that. I need to get into cattle. Yep. I mentioned the, the deaths in Kansas uh, in the feedlots. Uh, the, is that pulling live cattle down? Uh, is that impacting live cattle in any way, this weather story? I mean, that's the reason they're on the feedlot in the first place. It's more of a feeder story when it comes to inputs. But right. what's the big story for you uh, here on cattle? I think my biggest takeaway, because, I mean, there's a lot of rumors and or speculation swirling around that event. Uh, I'm not going to partake in that. But what I will say is that it really highlights what these very warm temperatures very early in the year can do. So you gotta you got to be a bit worried about weights, I think, going forward. Um, you've kind of had this sort of push-pull thing going on in the cattle where we're, we're worried about hot temperatures and weights and what the production and supply is going to be. 
But at the same time, we're really worried about demand because we see the stock market, you know, pretty much down every day and big, unprecedented plunge uh, that we've had since the beginning of the year. So we're worried that our 401ks aren't as robust, so people aren't going to go and spend those high prices for, for beef at the grocery counter. I think we are going to keep doing that for a period of time here, Paul. People want to go out and act like it's ni- or 2019. Uh, where we're unrestricted. Uh, a lot of people were still very restricted last summer. People want to go out and live their, that lifestyle again. And they'll do that until at least the 4th of July, if not mid, mid-July. It's the later half of the summer when the com- consumer starts to pull back. That's when I worry about cattle prices, then corn prices, really just the whole board. I think it's really dicey towards the end of the summer into the fall. And with, uh, with feeders, you kind of touched a little bit of that. I need to get into hogs because they are, a uh, again, like what wheat has been doing, way up, mm-hmm. way down, yeah. kind of the same thing. $5 back up this week after $5 last week. Yep. What's going on? How do you make sense? I mean, quite a bit better than expected export sales this week. That was really good to see. Cutouts started to raise again. That's really good to see. And I'm sort of frustrated with the hogs because I can see the hogs trading higher prices, uh, I really think domestic demand is going to be rather strong. If we're talking about people balking at going to their grocer and paying $24 for a one-pound ribeye, for example, well, then just look right next to it, and you've got pork chops at really very low prices. So if we're saying that demand in beef is going to get cut because of the, the drop in the stock market, well, then what are people going to look at it for an alternative? And you've got a cheap pork product sitting right next to it. I think the pork demand is going to really get stronger and stronger throughout the course of the summer. I think you're going to see a shift away from those high-priced steaks into okay. pork chops and things like that. Thank you, Ted. Good to see you. Always a pleasure, Paul. All right. That's going to do it for the installment of the TV show, Market to Market. We're going to keep going in Market Plus because, you know, I cut Ted off, so we have to keep going. Find it free on our website of markettomarket.org. Now, YouTube has something for everyone, including full episodes, stories, and our Market Plus. Subscribe by going to our page of Market to Market. Ring that bell to be notified each time that we post. Next week, the future of greyhounds after the race is over. Thank you for watching. Have a great week.